Welcome, Capital Raisers. What the heck do you need to consider if you want to become a co-GP or full-blown syndicator? We go through the mental process Wayne Courageous went through on the show today. Are you guys ready to raise? The Family Office Club is the largest association in the industry with over 3,000 registered ultra-wealthy investors globally. The base membership is only $5,000, but what if I told you I could do it for $3,000? Hit me up on LinkedIn Messenger to get 40% off. Not available anywhere else, not even familyoffices.com. With that, it's Capital Razor Show, episode 279, and it starts now. Rock and roll I got. Wayne Courageous on the Capital Razor Show, my friend and partner. How are you doing, brother? Man, welcome to the show. I'm doing great. Love your energy today. <laughs> it's the rock star energy, dude. It always gets me cruising. Capital Razor Show Season 3 now brought to you by our friends at Pitch Decks, Richard Wilson and his companies. So very cool to have you on here, man. We do some business together. We're on a built rent project. I've seen you come up and scale. You got your own podcast. We've got a lot to talk about today, so I'm excited. But for the audience that doesn't know who Wayne Courageous is, let us know a little bit about how you got into commercial real estate syndication and what you're up to these days. Yeah, thanks, Ruben. So been in real estate over 20 years. My path started when I was in the Marine Corps back in 2003. Started with single family in 29 Palms, California with my first rental. And then over the years, I've been working with a Fortune 150 commercial real estate company, heavily focused property management, asset management. And then in 2019, was really having a come to Jesus moment with myself and wanting to start owning these assets instead of making a lot of these other people wealthy. My background experience was like multifamily is the asset class that I personally love and want to invest in. So why not have other investors join me with that path? So that's really how I got started in syndication in 2019. And we can go from there, however you want to go. Yeah, man. So let's start with the come to Jesus moment. I think a lot of people are in a situation or a place in their life where they know that they need to or want to take some action in order to create the things that they want in their life, but they can't just cross that line and create that extra compelling reason to take the big leap into capital raising or syndication. They don't know where to start. They got a lot of limiting beliefs. It's a freaky place, especially if you're going off on your own and you don't have existing partners. So walk us through that. Like what was going on in your mind and what convinced you you had to actually take some action? Yeah, so I've always been very goal-oriented all along my career, starting with scouting when I was in school, got my Eagle Scout by the time I was in eighth grade, joined the Marine Corps, was fortunate in promotions and such through there, and then getting in with commercial real estate company every three years. Been from, I've always, Like I said, I've always been very driven and goal-oriented. I think the entrepreneurial aspect of myself really didn't hit until I went back to get my MBA at University of North Carolina. A lot of that entrepreneurial juices started coming back because when you work for a large company, there's a lot of processes and procedures in place. And that's one reason why clients go back to those companies or want those companies to manage their business or an aspect of their business is because there's consistency. And I get that. But when there's consistency and you're following other people's policies and procedures, the entrepreneurial spirit can go away. And this business and other business, when you're out on your own, it's very entrepreneurial. So I was very hungry for that. Now I have three kids and a wife and responsibilities. And the idea of me just jumping off completely was scary. And really, I didn't really need that risk at that point because I was able to balance both. 
but the come to Jesus with myself was, I didn't want to look back Ruben and say on my death. And I'm literally like, not joking. Like I'm having this thought to myself around this time was like, I don't want to look back and wish that I had pursued my dream. Real estate's always been in my blood. I'm not coming from a tech or any other industry. Real estate has been in my blood and been what I've been doing pretty much my whole professional career. And even a little bit in high school and like I said, in the Marine Corps. So that didn't shift much. It's just going out on my own and, and actually buying properties that are bigger than I would have once thought I could own. So then you had a big background in property management and real estate. Walk us through the process of what you had to do to actually become a syndicator, start raising capital. Like, what did you have to learn? What did you have to do to create your first partnerships? Tell me about that part. Yeah. So the real estate in its general terms are similar amongst asset classes. And even if you look at some of the single family stuff, a lot of it can be translated to multifamily, even at a larger scale. But with anything surrounding yourself with people who do things better and much more experienced, have gone through a lot of those traps. So the first thing I did in 2019, it was around Thanksgiving when I was having to come to Jesus with myself. End of December, I was like, all right, we're ready to go. But part of that month and a half was trying to find a good coach, a good mentor. And more so, I know this is the Capital Raiser show and we're raising capital, but I'm more of an asset manager. I enjoy the day one of closing. I'm in my comfort zone. Going up, can we raise capital? Yes. Have we raised capital? Yes. But I'm in my comfort zone when we actually close and start implementing the business plan. So I was more tailored towards a operator coach, someone who runs asset management operator. He taught the whole gamut and we can go into processes of how we raised capital and we're able to get our first investors, but heavy on the operation side. So that's what I did. Started his program. Everything that he told me to do, I did. If he told me to jump, I jumped. Like I literally mimicked his program A to Z and it took a while. It wasn't a quick, none of this is get rich quick or anything like that. Like it, it takes time. It's still taking time, but it's, it's that slow and steady inconsistency Ruben that we've tried to do and continue to do every day. Now, you mentioned that if he told you to jump, you jump. When you signed up for that program, did they request buy-in from you and let you know specifically that you're going to have a lot more success if you put in a ton of work? Because there's some people that will take money and then they'll give you systems and then you're kind of on your own. So I'd like to hear about that part right. because I think I've heard from other coaches in the industry that this is one of the crucial steps to get the most out of their students is to get that. We're yeah, everybody's going to have a different personality and a different why. At the end of the day, let's start off on the why we're doing this. My thing, even today, it's not to work myself out of a day job. Like I enjoy commercial real estate. I enjoy going to work every day. I enjoy what I do. Like none of this is work. Like it's, it's, it's a hobby. It's, it's like people go golfing on the weekends and I'm taking my family to look at properties. Like it's, that's my fun. When I joined his program, like I knew that I was going to succeed. I didn't know how long it was going to take or in the valleys and in my, where I want to be, no. But if I follow these processes and procedures, which to your point, most people, when they get into a coaching program, you can take a horse to water, but can't make them drink. Like mm. that is true. And he told me that over lunch before I joined this program was, Hey, I can show you the book, but you're really the one that's going to have to, to run with it. And then on once a week, we did check-in calls as a group, and that kept us motivated as well. Okay, cool. Here's one topic that I kind of am very curious about is you're in asset management, but you still do 
capital raising and some other things. I think everybody has to do some of the capital raising, but they can't just do that. They have to do other things. But some people will come at you with the approach of, hey, like my job is asset management. That's the only thing that I do. And trying to get them to go out and raise capital can be challenging because they, they're so inclined to just be the master of one specific little thing. And the realities that I've seen is that the most successful capital raising teams and partnerships are where every single person is raising capital from my experience. So mm -hmm. talk to me about the things that you implemented, the whole mindset around you also raising capital in addition to what your areas of expertise and your loves were. So the general partnership team in a perfect world isn't 10, eight, 10 members. In a perfect world, it's two or three. In my mind, it's always more than one. Protection for my investors is the fact that, you know, if something were to happen to me tomorrow, I know in every deal that I'm part of, there is another just as capable sponsor who I trust who can lead the process. From a single-minded, even if I were to do everything, I wouldn't do that. The other thing is it's a team sport. Whatever you can do to help the team, and whether that's raising capital or asset management or investor relations or tax prep, like whatever your thing is to help the team, it reduces the work for everybody. So it's a benefit for all. I don't know if I really thought about any different. I mean, I always knew asset management was what I enjoy because I enjoy the work. I'm not a transactional person and there's nothing wrong with that. Brokers, many people are listening on the show. There's, there's transactions from raising capital or leasing deals, et cetera. I've just been more, I like the life cycle, the process, see it from beginning to end. But I also want to own more of the asset over time. So not in the very beginning. I mean, there's a path, but there will come a point in my career where CREI partners will be able to own the majority of an asset along, and then you have the limited partners, but then you also have, like I said, other GP sponsors that I would trust to take over if something happened, et cetera. But that's part of it. You can't own the full percentage of the property if you're not raising the equity for it. You're always going to have to give away 30%, 25%, whatever it is of the GP split to other capital raisers. Now, if I can raise $5 million or five to $7 million, that 30% is now on me and maybe a couple other people, not 10, 15 other people, just a couple other people. So we have a bigger piece of the pie from an active side, we're growing our wealth a lot more quickly than others. The thing that we're seeing in our industry and you see it all the time, oh, I've got $350 million assets under management or 400 or something crazy. But when you really dig in, if you start talking to them, nothing wrong with this. But when you start talking to them, they only own like 1%, 2% of the deal. And so unlike someone who may own a 50 unit, own more of those, the percentage of that has a higher net worth because he or she owns a bigger slice of the pie. So I don't know if that answered your question, but in my mind, it, you can't own large pieces of the pie if you're not able to do capital raising. Yeah. And a lot of people actually like smaller JVs for those specific reasons, because there's a lot of times less team members to partner with and you all get a bigger piece of the pie. It's a different form of capital raising a lot of times, what I consider raising from joint venture partners. But let's find out a little bit about what are you investing in? What are some of the deals that you've done so far? And then we'll dive into capital raising. Last year was our biggest year, close about 33 million assets under management, 101 units in the Galleria submarket of Houston. We did a full reposition of that asset. We can love to go into that if we have time. We have another 105 unit in the West Chase submarket of Houston that we closed last year. 
partnered with a good friend of mine in Huntsville, Alabama for a high-end RV storage facility and closed on that in the fourth quarter of 2022. And then we have our build to rent development that's doing fantastic in Lafayette, Louisiana. So split between heavily multifamily. I love the higher end RV store, like storage in general. I'm not a huge fan of just general storage, but a niche inside storage, which is more of the covered, fully covered storage for high-end RVs and boats and, and other fun toys that we all have, or many of the accredited investors, et cetera, have. It's easy to talk to them about that. And then the build a rent, which is a little bit more of a riskier asset than I would have thought of getting into because it's more of development, but it's something that with the ride with legacy acquisitions and the, and the other team members, it's been been really fun to be part of. Yeah, you can mitigate a lot of the risk when you have the right team members, and particularly the builders over at Hammerhead Capital. These guys are amazing, and the quality of the product that they're doing is just next level. I think you said 101 or 110 units in Houston. You wanted to talk a little bit about that repositioning. Tell us about so, that deal. Was that your first major deal? So that was my first major deal as the main syndicator. So that was a huge accomplishment. And that took two years to finally get to closing. It took two years because it was a straight up off market. It's a doctor in Los Angeles who he and I just became really good friends and he wasn't ready to sell. It was a good cash flow to him. And then it came to a point where he came to Houston. I came with an LOI. We signed the deal and then we were able to close it last year. But the property, and no disrespect if he listens to this podcast, he's a great doctor, not a great operator owner. I should say that he cash flowed. He did what he wanted, but there wasn't renovations. He owned it since 2007. And so we knew going in through our due diligence that we needed to do a lot. Roofs, HVACs, exterior paint. This place was a full deep value add. We bought that in August, 2022. And around March, late February, March, we were 100% complete with our exterior. And then we're working through our interior renovations. But we took that property down to 71% occupancy because we did a lot of evictions just because they were just letting anybody get in there. It was, mm-hmm. it was not good. <laughs> we're at 86% pre-lease today. And if you are thinking, wow, 86%, that's not, we like to see high 90s, but Man, the turnaround. I mean, it's so proud of it. Seven, eight months, we were able to do this complete renovation and every month, every week, get occupancy pushing up. It's exciting. Our renewals are $200, $250 more each round. We've had a really good success on renewals. And then our rental rates coming in are top of market. So we're excited about it. I think one of the things that people tend to do is they'll buy the ugliest property in the best neighborhood, which is good, but they do it when rental rates are already near or at market. This deal, we bought it where the market rates were so below market that when people say, well, we can't get a 10, 15% increase on rents in today's market, I agree. However, if you bought it, if you still have rents way below market, there's still a lot of room to grow the income piece because the renters, no matter where they go in that submarket, they're going to be paying similar. So a lot of pride in that. And again, that took two years. My point on this show, it takes time. None of this is like get rich quick, whatever. It's like you're planting the seed. I planted the seed with this off-market seller, knowing that at some point he's going to sell. Whether he sold five years from now or last year, my hope was he would have thought of me first. So that's what we're trying to do is find deals off-market. Okay, cool. Let's explore that a little bit more. So you won the deal. Tell us about writing the LOI and what made him say, maybe it's time for me to sell or, or was he could, why would he not take it to market and see if he could get more money than just work with you? Yeah. So when 
there's less mom and pop type owners out there. I mean, that was five years ago. There were a lot, a lot of these syndicators, these groups. I mean, it's, it's this thing now, everybody wants to be a multifamily syndicator. So you have a lot of sharks going after the same blood, right? Same fish. And so it's bloody waters. These brokers, they're finding deals and they're providing options to these buyers, which is their job. But the prices increase because of that. It comes into a bidding war. And that's what we've experienced. The slower process in finding off-market deals, and I can go in exactly on how we did that, but how we found the deal and we nurtured the relationship and became friends with them. And these deals, even me, like I put a lot of hours in this particular property since owning in August. There are emotions attached to like, hey, is this owner going to take care of the property? Are they going to continue taking care of the community? And I think he wanted to see that for the next buyer. I mean, he owned it since 2007. He wanted this opportunity to go to somebody who was going to take care of it like he did. And maybe he didn't take care of it in a physical way, but an emotional way. I mean, it was a big part of his life. So it's relationships and, and just timing too, I guess. He wasn't ready to sell two years ago or a year ago. And persistence, not being annoying, but being persistent is, is important. We've got a team member every day calling people in Austin, San Antonio, and Houston every single day. By the time we get out of our Austin market, we're focusing on San Antonio. Done with San Antonio, we're focusing on Houston. That takes about three months to go through that cycle. So every three months, we're reaching out. And those numbers, we read them out, and then we're using other skip tracing techniques to try to find the numbers. So it's a lot of work. It's a lot easier to go to brokers, but the real value and the real wealth, in my opinion, comes when you can find those off-market opportunities. Okay, cool. So in this process of you becoming an owner-operator and syndicating deals, tell us about some of the things that you've come across in terms of scaling and operating that have been painful to overcome in terms of creating processes and essentially becoming a business owner on the syndication side. What are some of the things where you've grown the most in this process? Yeah, so over the last year, it's always good as a business owner to find people that can do processes more, more efficiently and better. And I say that because one thing that I've tried to train people to do is underwrite. But reality is, is that that is one of the most important aspects of a purchase is the underwriting. So I have control issues. I'm not going to lie. I like to do the underwriting and I dig in on the numbers. I dig on the deal very heavily up front, and that takes a lot of time. But from an investor relations standpoint, we have a brand in investor relations employee, an actual employee of CREI Partners. Her name's Courtney. And she, I've known her for, I don't know, at least 10 years. And when she was getting out of her prior position to be more with a family, I was like, hey, can I just have 10 hours of your time? I just want 10 hours of your time each week. And it's blossomed from there. So she handles a lot of the relationship building with our investors, keeping in touch, et cetera, which is important. And then we have recently hired a director of investor education lead where this past quarter, we've been focusing on a passive investor coaching program that's going to launch next week. And so it's more like we're doing more and we're scaling because we have more people. Now, part of a business is more risk because there's more outflow. I say my nine to five pays for my five to nine. And so my day job is paying for all this, but I'm able to scale because of team members that we have. The other team member I didn't mention, his name is Carlos. He's out of El Salvador. For a while there, I was using Upwork and finding people in the Philippines, and they are hardworking people, no issues. The problem that I had was the time difference. I had a real hard issue with the time and trying to connect with them. It just wasn't very convenient. So I switched over to El Salvador, where Carlos speaks perfect English, 
Spanish, but is hardworking. He's got a family that he's taken care of. He's calling. He's doing a lot of our off-market sourcing. He does my podcast editing. He's just a fantastic resource. He's been on our team over a year now, and it's just been great. He's It's one hour behind Central Time in El Salvador, and so just kudos. And it's through Upwork, and it's through a staffing agency. But you asked about scalability and such. It's growing in a systematic way where you're adding people to help grow the business and take care of what needs to be done, but also doing it in a way where you can continue scaling and, and afford it. It could go opposite. Right now, deal flow is very slow. There's not as much going on. So we got to maintain expenses and, and still scale at the same time. Awesome. Okay, cool. So what about the capital raising? You mentioned that there were some processes that you were assisted with in terms of creating a database and growing your capacity to raise capital. Yeah. What did you learn? What did you implement? All right. So the beginning, remember, I had the coach, knew nothing about capital raising, but people, first and foremost, if you're investing in somebody, you're investing with people you trust, right? So you've got to build a level of trust, transparency, strong integrity. Those are things that I like to think that I exhibit every day. I sleep at night, every night, knowing that I don't owe, I didn't intentionally put people in a wrong spot or do anything. I mean, we, we closed on a, a deal late last year and there's things in due diligence that came up and it just like, it just scratches your head sometimes. You always do right by the people. So that was one thing is like just going out there and just being yourself and building a brand around trust. We started a podcast and even then that podcast was more, we met through my podcast. And because of that podcast, we did a deal together in Louisiana. And so that podcast has been more for me to meet people like you. It hasn't really brought me any passive investors, but the one thing that has brought me a lot of passive investors is our the virtual meetup. And we actually have, by number of people, the largest passive investor meetup in the United States. We're about 1,300 members. We're underneath a group in Germany. Now, 1,300 members don't show up every month, but it's just a good way to constantly provide education. Outside of that trust, integrity, building the relationship, it's education. It's not time to educate people, Ruben, when you have a deal and you have a contract in place. You've got to educate them and prepare them for the actual investment. And that takes time. So we did the meetup. I mentioned we did this passive investor coaching program that we're launching. We do consistent blogs every other week. If you go to our website, creipartners.com, every other week there is consistent blogs that we're posting. Actually, we went to monthly now. We were doing every other week. We went to monthly, every other week podcasts, monthly blogs, and consistent on our social media. Everything's consistent. And it's all education. It's focused around educating passive investors. And that's what's helping growing our investor base. Okay, cool. Talk to us a little bit about the podcast that you're running. Yeah, so the podcast is the untold stories of real estate investing. And I typically am interviewing active real estate sponsors from, it didn't have to be multifamily. We do storage, mobile parks. We've had single family, but really the thing that drives me crazy the most Ruben is people always talk about their successes. Like, oh, this is, everything's going really great. And it's just a persona of like what you want people to think about you and your family, especially on Facebook. So I, I wanted the podcast to really go deeper into like, Hey, what are the mistakes? What are the lessons learned? What are the aha moments so other people can learn from them and also show a pretty more of a raw side of people that typically isn't shown. So yeah, so that's what it is. And like I said, it has become, people ask me 
like I did two recordings earlier today. People ask me like, what is, what's your audience? And it's an audience of active and passive investors, but more so, and this is going to sound very selfish. I'm not selfish, but selfishly, I just want questions that I'm wanting to know about. Yeah, that day. that's what and makes then, a really uh, great podcast. I think. And then other people just have the benefit of listening in on that conversation. So that's a little bit about the podcast. Everything else is more, more focused, like the, the blogs and social media and have an ebook, you know, all the things that most capital raisers listening in do it's consistency. And if you don't see the growth, Whitney, our director of investor education, she's very database and we've been running KPIs weekly. This is something we've started back in November, October, November, but we tried to pull information from a year ago. So this is our LinkedIn subscribers. What is the number of podcast downloads? Like just all this aggregate KPI stuff. And she graphed it and she color coordinated it. And it showed in the beginning of 2022 of where we were on all these different components of our outreach and our education platform and where we are today from start to finish. And you see this steady climb. It's not this drastic climb, but it's a steady climb. And it's something that you can visually see like, hey, what we are doing is working. And just over time, we just want to continue growing our audience and turn that audience into people that we know who are ready to invest, which then enters into our investor portal. And so that's the ultimate goal is to get people from point A to point Z, point Z being our investor portal to be ready to invest in their wealth in real estate. Yeah. Being on the other side, when you're a podcast host and you go on someone else's podcast, you do a lot more talking than when I you're- I do. It's very different when you're on the hot seat on the other side of the equation, getting all, all the questions um, that you yeah. get to answer. So a couple of things that you mentioned and some more that I want to talk about specifically around a thought that my friend Kent Ritter shared with my audience about as a podcast host and as a syndicator in general, we need to have the moral imperative to educate and nurture the audience and get people to understand that these things called private placements actually exist and that they can invest in syndications and whatnot. But as a podcast host, I think when we go to a real estate conference and people talk about all kinds of amazing things, but you leave feeling unfulfilled, you have this kind of desire and need to know more. And that's where this inspiration to get more questions answered and launch your own podcast, I think starts and why a lot of people are interested in listening because they're going to get deeper, more relevant information and more tricks and tips on how to scale, how to syndicate, how to get past the limiting beliefs and figure out how to become a full-fledged active investor. And this is one of the things that I love most about podcasting is that you selfishly get to go in front of other syndicators and get their very best tricks and tips and find out the raw information like you mentioned. So I think that's very powerful and it's a great reason. And I'm sure people have heard it before. It's a good idea to start a podcast, but I'm telling you, man, I've created partnerships. I've got a big listener audience and created a lot of friends and gotten a lot of emails saying, thank you for doing it. And I'm just like the whole time I'm thinking to myself, I just did it so that I could learn myself. Exactly. 100% well said. Very cool. All right, man. So let's dive into the lightning round. My first question to you is what's the best vacation you've ever taken? We love to camp. And last, I would say most recent, I mean, there's been a lot of great vacations, but last June, we went to Estes Park, took the camper up there and just enjoyed, love the mountains, love the beach. We most recently went to London as a family for our first international trip. And now that we have our passports. So I would say the last couple of years, even better than London was that camping trip. There's nothing like just 
being around a fire and go hiking with your kids and your wife and we're just really outdoorsy people favorite book of any kind i really like speed of trust mm, i like it because anything you're doing in outside of real estate it's all driven on trust decisions are made faster when there's trust when there's that gut feeling like i don't know if i can trust this person things don't go downhill from there yeah i have that audio i just bought the book i believe it's by stephen covey's son or possibly Stephen Covey, I can't remember, but it's a great, great audio. Well, how much of your success do you attribute to mindset? I'll say 60%. Mindset's important, it, it gets me going, but at the end of the day, like you can have mindset all day long, but if you don't have the energy or fortitude to actually get out of bed and do it. I like to think of it like an iron rod or like it keeps you on the path. So, cause you're gonna get moved off the sidewalk or off the path. Things are gonna get distracted. Things are gonna happen. I think mindset pushes you back, meaning if you've got that vision board or you've got that vision of where you want to be, get you back on path and get you going. But you can think about things all day long and have the mindset, but you actually got to do it. How long do you want to live? I think if I live until my, my 80s, I'm good. I don't want to live forever. Do you have any hacks for breaking through limiting beliefs? Every day I ask, or really every week, not every day, but I ask, did I move the business forward? And if I can say yes, then I'm good. It's a slow and steady race. I think the concern and the issues that I have, and my wife's a marriage and family therapist, and she is my therapist too sometimes. I'm like, social media can really break you down, Ruben. Like you just see the people's success. Like, hey, I mean, I started in 2019 and I'm proud of what we did over the last few years, but some of these people are killing it, supposedly based on social media and doing all those things, which is great. And you compare yourself and you're like, yeah. So anyway, did I move the business forward? If you ask that question and you can say yes, you can smile and keep going. Short answer on this, best way to raise capital from your perspective. Show up and I guess do the webinar. I mean, a lot of the, raising capital should have done before you have a deal. So if you have the deal and your base is educated, it's just presenting, presenting it. What was your biggest failure and how did you overcome it? Not a lot of failures. I think I'll focus this around capital raising. A couple of years ago, I found a perfect deal, San Antonio near the Amazon Fulfillment Center, all this good stuff. The returns were great, fixed rate debt, everything. But I couldn't raise the full 6 million and I had to give it over to someone else. And then that seller decided to refinance, but just a huge failure it, from a capital raising standpoint, you can have the best deal and find it off market, negotiate the price, have the returns, all the stuff. But at the end of the day, if you don't have the investors that are going to back you, you're not gonna be able to close it. And so that was a huge, I felt like a huge failure that year that I wasn't able to get that. People that you think can raise money too. This is important for this capital raiser show. People that say, I can raise capital. I can do this. I can bring in a million dollars. Then you're like, okay, great. Found a deal. We're friends, we're partners, let's bring you on. And then they can only raise 100,000. Or in some cases, I've had, you know, let's say zero, zero freaking dollars. And I'm like, but yet you act like you can raise capital. So those are failures, but also realizations that it's important to have your investor base as big as possible to close these deals. Okay, do your spiritual philosophies have anything to do with your success in business? Hmm. I think God helps those who helps themselves. Good. I like that. All right. So have you ever experienced a miracle or had a near death experience? Miracles happen all the time. Blessed to have the family and healthy children. A miracle shoot. A couple of weeks ago, my daughter had heart surgery and it was a one day surgery. It was non-invasive surgery to patch a hole in her heart. Talk about a miracle from the technology that over the years, when my wife had it, when she was a kid, had open heart surgery, multiple days, lots of pain. Just amazing where our medical technology and advances. So I think that's a miracle just in time of how can you go patch a heart through a vein 
and be out the next day. She had a friend sleep over that, that night and she's like, nothing happened. Just, that's amazing. Life itself is a miracle. That's fantastic. It, it is every day. All right, last question brought to you by Shannon Amigo, one of our great listeners. She would like to know what impact would you like to leave in the world? I thought about this personally over time and what would people say at my funeral and stuff. And I'd like to say that my biggest happiness aside from the family is when people grow within their career or personally and they come up and like, I'll get pictures and they've won an award within the company or something. And it's like, hey, this started with you or you helped and I'm like, I really would love to just keep impacting people as best as I can and be a connector of people and try to just continue growing what they're wanting out of their life. And everybody has different motivators. Not everybody's money motivated. There's a lot of different motivators. And if you can find that motivator and try to help them with that. But I like to like to think that I, I give back in that way. Awesome. Very cool answers on the lightning round. Shout out to the Capital Razor Nation. Thanks for tuning in. Please leave us a five-star written review. Shout out to my company, Legacy Acquisitions, and our sponsors, Syndication Pro and PitchDex.com. Wayne, how does the audience get a hold of you, my friend? Hey, check out CREIpartners.com if you're wanting to learn more about investing with us. But most recently, as I mentioned, PassiveInvestorCoaching.com. If you are looking to know the ins and outs of passive investing, how to analyze deals, how to make decisions for yourself as a sophisticated investor. This is a great course that we're launching and look forward to connecting with those that reach out. How do people find your meetup? Just go to Texas Multifamily Passive and Active Investor Meetup. And you can also find the link over at CREIpartners.com. Very cool. And any last words of wisdom for the aspiring capital raiser syndicator as they scale on their journey? Yeah, have fun with this. Don't take yourself so seriously. Like it's okay. And there's no timeline you don't have to compare yourself to the guy next door like enjoy your life live in the moment be with your family did you move the business forward this week doesn't matter if it's an inch or a foot or a mile like if the answer is yes you've done more than what most people that just have the mindset of doing things in their mind powerful parting words man that was amazing thanks for joining me i look forward to continue to do business on this project with our partners here at hammerhead capital and the crest in lafayette Louisiana. So thanks for joining us on the show, brother. And I'll talk to you soon.